If you'd like to travel, you should be following Peter Greenberg at petergreenberg.com or at least on Twitter at Peter S. Greenberg. He's a guy you hear every weekend. Eye on travel right here on 720 WGN. Peter, where in the world are you today? I'm in New York where I'm not flying anywhere. Couldn't be happier. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I read uh, your tweet about the race to, to bin space has never been more intense. And boy, is that true. Yeah, it's true. You know, we came across a memo. I wasn't supposed to see it. uh, That was sent by Delta Airlines to all their gate agents system-wide in the U.S. And what it did was it broke down every aircraft type they fly, the number of passengers they can handle on each of these planes, whether it's a 737 or a 767 or bigger, and the amount of of, of carry-on bags each could handle. And what a surprise... With no exception, not a single one of their planes could handle more than half the bags. So that's because they're cramming more seats in the plane, and the planes weren't designed for this. Hmm. So if you're not in that first two boarding groups, good luck. Right, and and they get very militant about it, you know. They start making announcements for the people who are already on the plane. Over and over you hear, there's no bin space left beyond, like, row 25. Well, that's what you should be telling the people before they board, right? Right. I mean, look, and, and some airlines have as many as eight or nine separate boarding groups, which I find ludicrous. We all understand the pre-boards, people with disabilities, military service folks, we get that, some of their mega million milers. But then, you know, group boarding four, boarding group number five, you know, people with personality disorders, people who are not on their medications. I mean, I mean it's crazy. So if you're not in those first two or three boarding groups, there's no space for you. Right. Okay, Peter, I wanted to talk to you about this report that I was reading. We've got 4 million people who travel each month through the Mexico City airport. And I know it's been about a year ago that the Mexican president, the president of Mexico, um, put armed forces, put the military in charge of that airport. And now there are reports that he's going to expand that possibly including Cancun or Playa del Carmen or places that a lot of people in Chicago travel to. Should military entities be running airports? Well, you know what? Military entities run a lot of airports around the world. And the reason for that, by the way, this is not the first time this has happened in Mexico, because the the perception, at least, is that local police tend to be more corrupt. And the military doesn't tend to be as corrupt. So, they bring them in as a show of force. Think about the old movie with Marlon Brando, On the Waterfront, right? I mean, you're dealing not just with drug cartels, but with organized groups of people who are controlling airlift and shipping and trucking. And uh, that's why he's doing it. It's not for petty crime in terms of somebody getting their purse snatched. It's for much bigger things. And I understand that, but I also understand There have been reports that the military in Mexico is also rife with corruption. NPR did a big article about this a year ago, and there was an expose the president acknowledged was true, but kind of shrugged his shoulders about it, that some of the military members are selling weapons to cartels. So who do we trust? I guess better the devil you know than the one you don't. I don't know. Um, Well, there's another issue here, and it goes back to base pay. Uh, the average military soldier in Mexico might, might make $300 a month. Um, so the opportunity for them to take bribes, the opportunity for them to look the other way, 
um, is is almost exponential in return. So if they don't fix the the base salaries, this is a problem that's not going to go away. And I would imagine you've flown through Mexico City Airport, and have is it uh, noticeable? Not really. I mean, th- this is not an armed camp, not that I'm aware of. And I'm in Mexico at least once every six weeks reporting down there. In fact, we've done our radio show from there many times. So that's not the issue. The issue is trying to maintain some sort of internal control over the, you know, the comings and goings of things that shouldn't be coming and going. Another question for you about frequent flyer programs. We continue to see more reports on how every company, regardless of what, what space it's in, is dialing back on those programs. That's happening when it comes to air travel as well, right? Well, it's worse than that. Anybody who joins a frequent flyer program, it's in the contract that says the airline can change the program at any time. It can end the program at any time. It can devalue the program at any time with or without notice. It's it's the most unregulated, uh, no government oversight, uh, and the airlines are under no uh, order or mandate to redeem the miles. Uh, I'm going to scare you now. How many unredeemed frequent flyer miles are there out there that you've earned, that I've earned, that our listeners have earned, that they've been unable to redeem? Take a guess. I can't imagine. I know I've got 100,000, and every time I use them, they say they don't apply. So I would guess millions. Okay. You're not going to the Showcase Showdown. It's (laughs) $34 What? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we've reached the tipping point where the programs are not only devalued, but they're borderline frauds because they're making promises they know when they make them, they have no intention of keeping. Hey, Peter, I don't want to put you on the spot, but last time you were on, we talked about, uh, I was flying home, I think it was from Italy, and it was a daytime flight, but they manually closed my windows so I couldn't look out. And you had mentioned you were going to look into that, and I'm not holding you to it, but if you have, I'd love to hear what you found out. I couldn't get anybody to answer that question. I do know this. There is, there is an internal requirement on most airlines that the windows have to be all open for takeoff and landing. That's to, to be able to give you enough visibility if there's an emergency to sure. see where you're going. But closing the windows, that's a new one, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, these were those, uh, the, I don't know if it was a Dreamliner or what, but you know they could just kind of smoke the windows, and the passengers had no control over it. After we brought it up, we had several texters say it was happening to them, too. Yeah, I'm still going to work on it. I don't have the answer. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. Be listening to Eye on Travel this weekend. Follow Peter Greenberg if you are a traveler. We are following the weather. Steve will cover that next with the news from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom.